Welcome to The Squeeze, your home for baseball content from opening day to the final out of the World Series. Hosted by Logan Lockhart and Tyler Milliken. Brought to you by Primetime Sports Talk. Yes, that's right. It's The Squeeze. I'm Logan Lockhart. That's Tyler Milliken. It is presented by Primetime Sports Talk episode. Help me out here. I believe we're at 15. Wow, 15. How about that? And it's the trade deadline show and probably the craziest trade deadline in the history of the league. I mean, I I said they were doing their best impersonation of the NBA and NFL yesterday. That was quite something. Let's cut the crap. Let's get right into it. If you were to describe the Boston Red Sox's trade deadline in one word, what is it? One word. I'd say... mm, Disappointing. Uh, I think disappointing is fair, but I think the way people are looking at it is also a little unrealistic. Uh, Listen, entering the year, it's easy to lose context of where this Red Sox team was, what their window was, where they were trying to go. This year was supposed to be that building block into a window of competition. Uh, You were supposed to take this year and kind of figure out, all right, these are the pieces we're moving forward with. Uh, We're definitely above a 500 team, but can we really compete with the best of the best in baseball? We're not sure yet. Most likely not. That will be next year. Um, it made sense with where the Red Sox were at the luxury tax, their offseason spending. Um, it was kind of just filling out the roster and understanding who's going to be here for the next run. Now, things. it's been a crazy year for the Red Sox, right? They've rose to first place in the AL East. They're barely hanging on by you know everything right now. Uh, they've overperformed in just about every aspect. Uh, Alex Cora has shown why he was so valuable to this team. And once people saw the Max Scherzer rumors, I think, and the Jose Barrios rumors, everything went out the window. People went from expecting, I'll take Anthony Rizzo and a good bullpen arm to, we need to make that mega deal. I want to be the Boston Red Sox of, you know, pass where we're in the middle for every major player. The rumors came out that John Henry and ownership were pushing Heim Bloom to make a deal for Scherzer, which Bloom denied. He was going to deny it one way or another. So I don't put too much stock in those comments either. I think Heimblum could have handled this better. Uh, I think he tried to wait out the deadline. And unfortunately, if you tried to wait out this deadline, you got completely screwed over. And I think there's teams on both sides of it who felt that. I think you can look at the Rangers who they probably should have waited a little longer on Joey Gallo and they would have got a lot more back, but they made the deal early and paid for it um, in terms of what they got back. The Red Sox, they looked like they were trying to wait to rate, you know, that buzzer beater kind of area. And before they realized everything was out of their price range because everyone got desperate. It was a, it was a true buyer's market. Um, and teams took advantage of that. The Red Sox still landed Kyle Schwarber. Listen, Kyle Schwarber, I understand the nervousness and people kind of looking at it in a weird way. He's one of the premier bats on the entire, you know, trade deadline group of players that were moved out. Uh, Basically, if you look at OPS plus, he was right in the same area as Nelson Cruz this year. Now, is he the same hitter as Nelson Cruz? No, he's not that consistent. No one would say that. But even if he's, you know, 20% less of that 120 OPS plus guy, that's great. I think the move would have looked a lot better uh, if you had added someone who could play first base and the experiment to try to teach Schwarber first base wasn't do or die at this point um, because you would have been able to give Hunter Renfro some days off in the outfield, uh, sit him against those tough righties that have really been eating him up this year. Uh, So I I think they got the impact bat. I do believe Schwarber will be able to play first base. If Franchi Cordero can learn it in 10 days, I think Kyle Schwarber, a guy who 
was a catcher when he was drafted. We know he's played mostly outfield to this point. Played one at bat, I think, at first base in the big leagues. Um, yeah. In terms of the reliever stuff, Austin Davis, Hansel Robles, uh, or Hansel Robles, it's I like the Davis move. It's nice with team control, but that's not what they needed. Uh, Robles doesn't do anything for me whatsoever. That was the deal to get below the uh, luxury tax threshold. I get it. Uh, losing Aldo Ramirez in the Schwarber deal, I think that's a fine return there. I just I don't see why they couldn't have gone and got a Ryan Tapera when the White Sox gave up you know a prospect in their twenty to twenty five range, uh, and their system's worse than what the Red Sox is. I find Schwarber so fascinating because after that deal went down, I'm thinking in my head, okay, well. I like the Ryan in center field. You know, I was just trying to think about the Red Sox and how they're going to line up defensively. You're saying first base. It sounds like you're relatively confident. If, if we had a confidence meter, I think it would be at least um, a six. Yeah, right? I, or, I, yeah, I think that's a great six and a half, seven, right in that area. Yeah. Um, and I just, there's plenty of guys who have picked up first base and found a way. And then the, the answer from Red Sox fan is, oh, look what happened to Christian Arroyo, you know, a week and a half ago where he stretched at first base in his first game and he blew out, you know, a hamstring. Yeah, that happens, right? But you also have French Cordero who's doing his thing there. Uh, you don't have to go too far back. Hanley Ramirez picking up first base after being the mm-hmm. worst outfielder in all of baseball. Or another former catcher, Mike Napoli, who turned into a gold glove first baseman. I'm not saying Schwarber is that guy. I don't even think he'll be – he'll probably be a little below average over there. First base, let's not act like it's rocket science. Right. And, and there, were some, there was some pushback yesterday, people saying, well, you can't just hide guys at first base. You know what? I think Schwarber can learn, and, and he's adapted to different kind of roles on, on, you know, on the Cubs especially. So I, I have confidence as well that he'll be able to do it. I want to ask you this now. I'm happy we got the Schwarber stuff out of the way. But here, when you heard after Schwarber, was acquired by the Red Sox. That's not a natural first baseman. Okay. But then what was your reaction as locked in as you are for what this Red Sox front office has been doing and what they've been thinking leading up to this deadline? What was your reaction when you saw Anthony Rizzo go to the New York Yankees? I looked at that deal and immediately I began to... So first off, Anthony Rizzo is a fit. The narrative, I think the narrative started to outplay a little bit what the player was. Anthony Rizzo was not the guy who, you know, really helped bridge them to a World Series in 2016. Um, He's been a slightly above average offensive player this year. The defense has taken a little bit of a step back, but he's still pretty good over there. Um, But the return was not cheap uh, for Anthony Rizzo. And I don't blame Heimblum for sitting there and kind of sitting back. It would have been the eighth and the 13th best prospect in the Red Sox system. Uh, that's Aldo Ramirez, who you traded straight up for Kyle Schwarber, uh, who was a much better bat than Anthony Rizzo. We know he doesn't bring the defense. Um, but you know, you trade Aldo Ramirez there and that would have been Brainer Bonassi, another really young minor leaguer who is viewed as one of those guys who could take a big step forward, has Xander Bogart's comps out there uh, and has had a really nice start to the minor league season this year. So I, I understand Bloom not going that way. I think there were better opportunities out there and I think they saw that. I think ultimately they just didn't work out. They went after Carlos Santana. Royal said, we're not doing it. We want to hold on to him. Classic Royals. The Rockies and their abomination of a franchise held on to C.J. Crone. Another guy who you could have got C.J. Crone for a lot less. Uh, he would have given you similar offensive production there. Uh, and, you know, another guy, uh, Detroit with Shoop and uh, or John Scope and everything. Everyone kind of sat there and was like, all right, they're holding on to him too. I think the Red Sox should have gone to make that deal. I don't think it was a necessity, but 
for the price of Anthony Rizzo, I wouldn't have met that. It was pretty steep. Now we're going to get into some really steep prices as we go along here. There were some that shocked me. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, and we're going to get back to the Red Sox and the AL East because the AL East right now, especially what the Blue Jays did, what the Yankees did, and of course what the Rays have done. Now the Rays, uh, a little puzzling at at some points here, but still, the the Rays are low. The AL East is interesting. Yeah, I think the Rays are getting a little swept under the rug a little bit because of the Red Sox. Like the Rays were in a lot of the same talks they were, but they went ahead, they added Nelson Cruz. I think there's a lot of similarities you can make with them and the Red Sox. And obviously they sold off some pieces as well. Um, so that that's the other side of it here. But overall, the Rays are the Rays. They're still very deep. I, I you know, I look at them, I think they're in a good position. And, you know, if you're looking for a loser at the trade deadline out of the division, it's the Red Sox. Yeah, and the Rays already made their move right and uh, I heard them at the end of the deadline oh they're in on Chris Bryant I'm going there's no way there's no way they're trading for Chris Bryant they might have been in on it somewhat uh I I wasn't buying that for a minute all right the biggest blockbuster I've seen at the deadline in how many years I mean seriously you're having Max Scherzer and Trey Turner dealt in one deal MLB the show that's MLB the show it's MLB the show it's like and you know what after the trade it's like doing a fantasy draft and it's like having Max Scherzer on the Dodgers, and I don't know what was going on. Now, this is Jeff Passan called it the blockbusters of all blockbusters. And he's right. Um, the Padres were in on Max Scherzer, we believe. Okay, now this is general reports. Um, and the perception that the baseball world has right now is that the Dodgers swooped in and they stole Max Scherzer from the Padres. Is this... Uh, a, a sentiment of, of the Dodgers really saying this division is very tough. We need to do everything we can. There are no limits here. If the Padres are interested, okay, we're making an offer right now. The Dodgers are the 90s Yankees who just whatever they want, they're going to go get it. You're not going to stop them. You can't beat them. Uh, Ken Rosenthal broke it. I believe it was Thursday afternoon saying the Padres were close to finalizing a deal. Uh by the end of that night, the Dodgers had swooped in and it looks like they had stole it. I think the reason, partially, they were willing to take Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. That gave the Nationals the biggest, you know, kind of return they could possibly get. We know the Padres wanted Scherzer. Trey Turner didn't really fit there uh, in that same way. So I think that's where that deal ended up coming together. Uh, and listen, I think it's a good deal for both sides. The Dodgers, their window is right now. That's why they paid Mookie Betts like they did. We know they're coming off a World Series. Everything that's happened with Trevor Bauer, uh, the injuries they've had. Obviously, Corey Seager is just coming back now. Gavin Lux going down and just... Gavin Lux hasn't been what they want him to be. He's had some nicer moments this year, but he still hasn't reached that level. Uh, And if you're trying to win a World Series and say, listen, we've kind of underperformed uh, in the NL West. Obviously, they're not leading the division like everyone predicted. Here we go. We're putting our foot down. They did that. The Nationals land Kiebert Ruiz and Josiah Gray uh, to headline their package. Uh, Ruiz is a top 20 guy in prospect list. Gray is a top 60-ish kind of guy. It's a good return. I, I don't blame the Nationals for going this way. I know some people were trying to say it was they expected more. I, I'd say just one of those deals where both sides got what they were looking for. Yeah, the return's okay. It's good. It's good for what it is, right? It's not a crazy haul. No. Not at all. Andrew Friedman addressed a need here because, you know, the elephant in the room with the Dodgers is what's happening of Corey Seager at the end of this season. Is he going to resign? I would lean towards no, and I think this Trey Turner acquisition absolutely confirms it. 
he kind of solved the problem here. Uh, the Dodgers got their shortstop for next year. He's arbitration eligible for 2022. He's under their control. So they kind of solved that. Scherzer and Kershaw on the same rotation. Forget the whole rental thing. We're going to have half a season of Scherzer and hopefully Kershaw. Kershaw's been a little banged up. But when both those two guys are healthy and in a rotation, you're looking at two of the best pitchers of the era, the best two of the era, Hall of Famers, and they're both on the L.A. Dodgers. That's pretty cool, you know. You don't see that guys who already both have a ring now as well. Like this is, as this is the top of the line. I think the only thing that would have compared would have been, you know, Max Scherzer and Chris sale, right? That, that, that's what everyone was saying, but you know, Max Scherzer and Clayton Kershaw watching them do their thing. Uh, obviously Scherzer is a little further down the road in terms of his career, but he's still a very good pitcher in this league. He may not be a true ace anymore, but you know, I, I think he's a really great number two uh, and you turn it up for postseason baseball with Max Scherzer. You're going to get every ounce of what he has. Uh, but I agree with you. I, I do think this kind of points to where they're going with Corey Seager. Uh, and it, I always kind of question whether he was the guy they were going to sign. I don't think he's someone who will age extremely well. I don't know how many more years he'll have at shortstop. But Trey Turner, he fits everything they love with the Dodgers. Versatile, can do different things. Uh, obviously, he's going to play second base. Played plenty of center field, as we remember, too. Uh, so good on Andrew Freeman. It's once again... When you build up your organization, your farm system, and stayed under you know the luxury tax like they did to get to where they are today, these are the things you can do. This is what the Red Sox hope to do. This is what you know the organizations with forward-thinking mindsets, what analytical backgrounds are trying to do. And he's just mastered this. This is nothing but Andrew Freeman showing why he's the best front office guy in all sports. And the infrastructure of their minor league system contributes to a deal like this. And I don't know if you saw, but this trade technically goes back to 2015-16 with the Reds and, and Yasiel Puig. And, you know, they're flipping prospects. They have so much depth. We're going to get into how, you know, and with the Blue Jays and what they gave up for Jose Barrios. The Yankees, it's not an overwhelmingly great farm system, but you know what? They had the depth to kind of do it. What they did to bring in Joey Gallo, they had the depth to do it. Um, the Dodgers are on another level, though. It's the Dodgers and the Rays when it comes to infrastructure and developing prospects. They always have a piece ready to be dealt, right? And the Dodgers just have $200 million more, right? Uh, no, and that's the name of the game. And they're willing to go over that yeah. $200 million now, and that's the other part of it because this is the window. They're, they're trying to win, you know, the next – three, four, five years are going to be crazy. It, it's just the Dodgers letting it completely out. They're going to go all the way, you know, boss to the wall. Um, and I, I respect it. That's how they should. That's what they built up for. Uh, and there's not really many organizations in baseball who can do this. Uh, with the Yankees, I'll give them credit. They did a really good job not dealing from their top five prospects. It was really, like you said, those mid-level kind of guys. Um, but Unfortunately, the Dodgers, they can make these deals for a Scherzer in the top end talent. Uh, obviously, the Yankees get some really good pieces in Gallo and Rizzo, but that's the difference kind of there. Let's get to the fire sale uh, with the Cubs. And we'll, we'll get to the south side as well. We'll talk about what they gave up for Craig Kimbrell, Woo! which was very intriguing. I was stunned again by the price on that. But that contributes to the Cubs' fire sale. And credit to the Cubs, okay? Now, they are not going to pick and choose. There was a lot of talk this year. All right, we'll pick one guy that they should keep or trade two of them or, or trade one of them. They didn't do that. And you know what? Now that I think about it, that was a little ridiculous. They got to commit. They got to go all out. That's what they did. 
I expect one of those guys, whether it's Baez, Rizzo, Bryant, I'd lean towards Rizzo, re-signing in Chicago, right? I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibility. No, it's not. Ken Rosenthal, as recently as two days ago, said that, yeah, the Cubs want to, you know, not want to, but they're considering holding on to one of these guys. And as the days passed, it looked like Rizzo probably fit in there. Uh, We talked about it last week. This, it was a hard decision, but if you look at the writings on the wall, man, you need to get something for these guys. And uh, if I had to put my money on it, I would have said that Jed Hoyer would have held on to one of them. No, he didn't. He stepped up to it. And that's why he's getting a lot of praise. Overall, I don't see a deal where they really got robbed in any way. I think Chris Bryant wise, they looked at it and they held out and they held out and they held out. I don't think they ever got what they wanted over this time, but still they they got a decent return back. And now you kind of look at their farm system. Uh, It's been built up. You look at, you know, young major leaguers, a guy in Nick Madrigal, as we'll talk about Um, Cody Hoyer, another one, you got real pieces to start to kind of put this thing together Overall, really great job from the Cubs. I believe they made eight deals total in a little over 24 hours. It's absurd. Wow. You know, I mean, it's like even when a team's selling, we can't envision something like that usually in a normal year. And I guess this is a normal year. This might be the new normal. It really might be. That, you know, the, the whole August waiver, the elimination of that, I think really contributed to the craziness. It's terrifying to think if you lose a real piece here, what do you, you can't do anything about it. You're stuck. And a lot of people made that point with the Kyle Schwarber stuff. It's like, what would the Red Sox do if Hunter Renfro went down tomorrow? <laughs> find a way. You know what I mean? You got to find a way. And I think that's why you saw a lot of teams really, instead of taking their chances, they said, we'll give up a little bit more here if it means we have more of a security blanket. And I don't blame them. I, I think that's a fine approach. And I also think you're seeing teams who, are on the verge and see like, all right, I can compete. I want to put everything on the table and the teams who know they can't do that sell because holding will do nothing for you. I think that line down there between buyers and sellers is just stricter than ever. And when you walk the middle line, you usually end up looking on the stupider side of things. And that's where the Red Sox are. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I love the Chris Bryant fit in San Francisco. You know, yeah, they gave up a little bit. It wasn't a crazy return, but they held on. Like the Yankees, we talked about it. They held on to the guys that really contribute to that high-end capital in the system. I love that fit. You know, that we've owed a lot of their success to the pitching staff. I think that with Evan Longoria's uncertainty, with him being able to stay on the field this season, uh, this is perfect for the Jets. Yeah, listen, they gave up their ninth and 30th prospects. For Chris Bryant, for a rental in a year where – the Giants are for real. They're, this isn't some yeah. team that's going to fall off and just lose, you know, play under 500 baseball down the stretch. No, Farhan Zaidi has done a great job building this roster together. Gabe Kapler has done a ridiculously good job piecing the roster together as the season has gone, uh, you know, platooning guys, moving them around. And you look at Chris Bryant. Yes, he fills that hole for Evan Longoria right now. Then when he gets back, you have someone in Chris Bryant who can play a multitude of positions here. Left field, which I believe the Giants have the worst production out of any team in baseball this year uh, in terms of OPS. You could throw Chris Bryant right out there, and now you have one of the best players you could imagine out there in left field. I look at the Giants, and I'm like, yeah, they had to make a move here if they really wanted to compete and keep up with the Dodgers and the Padres. They didn't sell out and destroy anything to do it, but they added a piece who Chris Bryant, he's been through you know a World Series chase, getting a ring. He fits perfectly on this roster right now. Props to them. And, you know, I, I was nervous. I Some people had them in the Max Scherzer race and thought they were going to pay out that way. 
I think that's where you would have saw the wrong approach. I think this is the perfect move for the Giants where you're taking a step forward without taking any steps back. Quality over quantity, right? You can look at a lot of teams and what they brought in and you see a long list of players and that's all great. But the Giants, there's just one player. It's Chris Bryant. Quality over quantity. Are you also adding the Rangers in that package for uh, Joey Gallo? I am. I am. And, and okay, let's get to Joey Gallo and the Rangers. So the Rangers elect to go, I just said it, quantity over quality, not vice versa, which what the Giants did. Um, look, John Daniels made a trade in 2007. It was the Mark Teixeira trade. He elected to go with quantity over quality. And ever since then, it's kind of been like, well, can we recapture that kind of deal? Right. Elvis Andrews was on that deal. Natalie Feliz, Matt Harrison. You hope you capture your next core. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and it happened relatively fast. I mean, three years later, Elvis Andrews is leading off for the Rangers in game one of the World Series. Right. It happened very fast. This is what they elect for this. Now, I heard reports and who knows if it's true. I don't know. But through this whole Joey Gallo trade saga, the San Diego Padres were always involved. And the reports are is that, well, if Eric Hosmer went the other way to the Rangers, then you would have seen a very highly rated prospect within San Diego's system go to Texas. That would have been the quality kind of trade. Of course, the Rangers would have, have taken on that whole contract that Hosmer has. But I, I, you know, and who knows how things went down, but it turned out that it's the Yankees and the Yankees package. And it's four prospects. Um, Glenn Otto, they got one guy, a guy we could see in the rotation, um, this season and the rest are, we'll see a ball right now, Ezekiel Duran, um, great athlete. We hear all the things. So there's pieces there, but it's quantity over quality. hundred percent. Yeah. I, listen, I, I understand why the Rangers went this way, but for a team that already has, you know, a rising farm system that a lot of people are fans of, they see a lot of hope in it. I would have liked to seen them add a premier talent. Uh, I I understand trying to go, you know, quantity over quality here, but let's be real. Most of the times when you go this route, it doesn't work out. Uh, It's similar to kind of the NBA logic. Usually the team that trades the star is the one that you're looking at. And they're like, they're going to find, they they are going to win this deal. Right. Um, Considering the Joey Gallo stuff with the Yankees, I would have heavily considered, flipping him for Eric Hosmer like they talked about we heard the conversation Robert Hassel maybe being the guy the top prep high school bat in last year's draft uh getting a guy in Eric Hosmer who we know it he's not the player that he was when he signed that deal super up and down but adding him to a very hitter friendly environment in Texas uh cheaper money starting the year after next uh 13 million a year and just a piece that you don't have to think too much about and the Rangers money wise it's not really killing them one way or another here I would have preferred going about it that way I I think this is a kind of move where I got to give credit to the Yankees just not having to deal a top talent away Joey Gallo the Rangers should have moved him there was no reason for holding on to him he knew as much when he played his final game and he gave that emotional kind of speech saying thank you and everything but Yeah, I think it's a good deal for the Yankees. If I'm the Rangers, it could end up working out for you. Maybe you do find that next core. But none of those prospects in there I was in love with. But yeah, with the Joey Gallo deal, you get a lot of different pieces here. Nothing that that sticks out to you too much. So I don't know. I'm not in love with the return for the Rangers here. I think it's just a move they had to make, just probably not the one I would have went about. Right. It's not like Clark Schmidt is going to the Rangers. And initially, that's what it appeared to be. I mean, initially, it seemed like a haul was going to Texas. 
And then once things started to trickle through, it seemed like, okay, this is going to be a quantity kind of deal. It's not necessarily a haul. It's just more about, okay, we'll take a bunch of your middling prospects. And it, it does, if you think about it, right, in terms of what the Rangers are saying, they believe their windows opening up in the next two to three years, right? If you're sitting there and you believe, all right, depth is going to help us more to make pieces to make us a competitive ball club once, you know, we're already in that area. All right. I just, I don't think the Rangers are making that leap. I, I don't see it. Um, I, they, the front office can think what they believe, but you know, if they end up competing and they're a really good team in a year or two already, then this deal makes more sense. Cause when you have depth in the farm system like this, you can make those moves to make your team go from a good team to a great team. Exactly. And we'll lump in the Kyle Gibson trade as well. Just quickly, uh, the Phillies who all of a sudden are in this tight race in the NL East. That div- or ex- yeah, the NL East. Um, that division is fascinating me this year uh, with the Mets and the Braves. and the Phil- I don't know what's going to happen. The Mets should be running away with this thing. The Phillies, Ian Kennedy, Kyle Gibson, Spencer Howard goes to Texas. That was kind of a surprise. Um, he struggled at the big league level, but um, I-, I heard general manager of the Rangers, Chris Young, speak yesterday, and he's very optimistic that within – that atmosphere, that team culture of the Rangers that aren't necessarily in win-now modes, Howard can thrive. So we'll see how that works. The Phillies, uh, this is actually one of my losers from the deadline. Um, I thought they waited way too long. This is a last-minute deal. Now I believe they're just going to be tied into a second-place race with the Braves. This is how I see it. Um, Gibson has been looked at as a middling starter. For the vast majority of his career, he's broken out in 2021. Now he's an all-star. He's now going to a hitter-friendly atmosphere. Uh, I think this doesn't bode well for Philadelphia at all. No, and listen, I think you look at Gibson, number one. We know the ERA, I believe it's a 289 right Mm -hmm. now. It's like a 375 fifth. That's right about Kyle Gibson, right? Uh, Average back-end rotation arm. Yeah, I I like, listen, for the Phillies, they're in this middling range. And this is why Dave Dombrowski never made sense as the hire for me. They're closer to having to rebuild than they are putting everything in to compete for a championship. And Dombrowski's the guy you bring in. If you want to try to win a championship, he did that with the Red Sox. We all know. Um, that's what these moves felt like. Like they thought they were a piece or two away. Uh, no, you're not. It's nice. You're competing for second place once again. Uh, and I think that's best case scenario for them. If I were them, I would have been trying to move off a piece or two. Get me some prospects back, and let's go into this offseason and see if we can take a step back for a year with the hope to take a couple steps forward in the next, similar to what the Red Sox had to do. Um, They got, obviously, Kennedy as well. Uh, Sure, right? Uh, Whatever. You know, it helps that bullpen. That bullpen's a disaster. One arm isn't going to save you one way or another. I'm sorry to tell you. They made a similar deal for bullpen arms a year ago, getting Heath Hembury and Brandon Workman. Completely killed you anyways, because when the rest of your bullpen sucks, one arm isn't going to save you. Uh, Spencer Howard, I think that's a really interesting piece for the Rangers to get back here. We've seen it. He's dealt with shoulder injuries, hasn't really found any success at the big league level yet. But we know the repertoire, still very impressive. A guy somewhat similar to Jesus Lazardo in my eyes, that you end with the right organization that can kind of put you on the track again. That's a deal you're like, two years from now, could be an absolute steal for them. Absolutely. Lazardo in Miami, that's a very pitcher-friendly atmosphere. I'm not even talking about the stadium. I'm talking about the organization right now. He can thrive in that system, and I think Howard of the Rangers, um, he'll be in the rotation this year. That's what the expectation is. And maybe Glenn Otto from the Yankees, the guy got, they got for Joey Gallo as well. Um, 
so the Phillies, I think we agree. They're, they're a loser here. Um, it, it's very interesting of the Phillies. The Rangers sent them $4 million as well, which means they stay under the luxury tax threshold. And of course, that becomes a big part of this conversation and what the Phillies did at this year's deadline. Yeah, and I give him credit for doing that. You know, Dave Dombrowski had said he was willing to go over. That would have been complete blown-up disaster in my eyes. Staying out of the luxury threshold is a good step, but your farm system is still not good, and that's the problem we're sitting at. You need guys like Spencer Howard right now to click because your core, you are paying through the roof for, uh, and it's going to limit them into what they can do, like getting good secondary players, like building a bullpen that can support your starting rotation or getting back end starters that can help Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, uh, these pieces you have. And, and that's where the problem lies again and again. Obviously, next year, Kyle Gibson, he's on cheap money. We understand that side of it. But still, I just I feels like they're trying to tread water and it's like treading water ain't going to help you guys right now. You just got to realize the situation for what it is and. They're not able to do that. Their owner doesn't want to do that. So they'll sit in this mediocre or this mediocre kind of level of purgatory for the time being. Yeah, I have my concerns about the Phillies, and I think it's a real unfortunate, especially knowing this division has not turned out the way we thought. This absolutely would have been the year. They haven't made the postseason in nine seasons. I mean, they're going on 10 now. But that's the problem. When you're in a year where the Mets have had injuries and they've underperformed, the Braves are riddled by injuries, and I give them credit for how they filled out the outfield like they did at the trade deadline, even though I didn't agree with it entirely. Um, Still, you're not able to compete at this level. So what are you going to do a year from now when the Mets are even better, when the Braves are healthy again? You're going to be sitting in third or fourth place. And the Marlins, who are rising, as we see every year, more prospects, better deals, that organization is doing the right things. The Phillies are going to be basement dwellers and it's sad, but that's where they're trending. Well, and and that's real unfortunate because when the Bryce Harper acquisition was made and then you add JT Rilamuto on top of it and you bring in Didi Gregorius and Zach Wheeler and you're looking at and you're going, all right, well, the Phillies are at least going to be in the mix every year in the hunt. And all of a sudden it's going downhill. Now uh, let's not get crazy though. You know, I think they're what two and a half, three games back, something like that. Maybe a little more. Uh, but they're in the mix right now. The Mets had Javi Baez. That's interesting. That's going to hurt them a little bit, the Phillies. Um, and the Braves. You know, the Braves kind of like band-aided their injury issues uh, with a bunch of outfielders. That's what they did. And you know what? Like in the short term, that's going to help them in the immediate. Yeah, listen, I, they didn't give up anything crazy either. Yeah. So, you know, I give them that. I guess if I were them, I would have been willing to deal off a few more pieces just – you're not going anywhere this year. I, I I don't mean to be that guy where it's like, are you going to win the world series or not? You're not, you know what I mean? And what, how far are you going to go the first round? If everything goes perfectly over the next two months, how much is that really worth to you when you know, you have a window coming up here in a year where, you know, next year they'll be back in it where they should be competing. Maybe not for first place, but they should be in the conversation without a doubt for a wild card. What you should probably be building towards that not trying to savage something out of this season. Uh, that's where I question, but like I said, they didn't give up anything crazy. They didn't lose anything insane. So I can't really be mad. It was creative the way they went about it as well. So sure, moves that are not bad, but they're not going to really mean anything long-term either. Exactly. And you know what? That's the point right there. They didn't give up too much. I give credit to Alex Anthopoulos because he's telling his team we're trying and we might as well try. We're not that far out of it. I understand we had a devastating injury to our best player. 
But you know what? We were in game seven of the NLCS last year. This team is, is intact. We got Freddie Freeman here uh, right in this smackdown, this prime playing real well. Ozzy Albies has, has really come alive. You know, they're trying. They really are. And they have a guy like Charlie Morton, who's at the end yeah. here. You, you know, it's yeah. really hard to have someone like him. And, he, you know, he's not an easy guy to move. We know he has preferences where he'd like to play. To kind of have him sit here for the next two months and be like, sorry, you know, just waste these bullets, whatever you have left, and, you know, carry on to whatever you do next year. That's a that's a tough sell. Uh, I, I wouldn't have gone about it this way, but this will earn some points with that Braves clubhouse, which is never a bad thing, especially, you know, you have a guy like Freddie Freeman, you're getting ready to pay. This stuff all pays a little bit here and there. It's just, it doesn't mean much in the long run. I would have liked to see them build a little bit more uh, for the upcoming year, but I, I don't think it's going to mean too much one way or the other. Yeah, and they'll have the offseason as well to kind of retool and, and when Acuna gets healthy. And then when we enter 2022, we might be looking at the Braves and saying, wow, they're back. This is like the 2020 Braves kind of deal. Blue Jays, I can't wait to talk about this deal. Simeon Woods Richardson, Austin Martin, for Jose Barrios, this is a steep, steep price. I was actually stunned, Tyler, when I saw the price they paid. I thought that other teams were paying a lot less for substantial buyer's pieces. And the Blue Jays bring in Jose Barrios, who I love his stuff. I really do. We've talked about him on this show before. But this is a steep price. And this speaks to the Blue Jays. Depth in their system. They have a lot of high-end prospect capital. They have a really good system, which makes this deal acceptable. They didn't empty house and the farm, but yet this is a steep price. Yeah, you know, it felt like the immediate reaction was Blue Jays got fleeced. I, I tweeted it out myself, and I do believe they this was steep. This was a yeah. big return, but I think they looked at it as there were other teams like the Padres who felt the pressure. I need to match Max Scherzer. You know, I'm willing to go head to head and bet back and forth. Uh, the Yankees, another team that were in on this, who were really making a push with what they did at the trade deadline. Uh, overall, it's the kind of move you're going to have to wait and see. I think Simeon Woods Richardson, he's having a rough year at double A. We all know that, but he's a top 60 ish prospect. Austin Martin's a top 15, uh, the arguably the number one talent coming out of last year's draft, right? Uh, who fell to five and then got big bonus pool money, which affects the other picks in that draft as well, uh, which is another a little bit of a hard pill to swallow. But I like Jose Barrios. I still think there's another gear there. I just, I don't know at this point. You know, we still talk about him like he's been here in the big leagues for two years. It's not like that anymore. Uh, you know, he has another year of control. We know that. Um, but, you know, we have a, almost a handful of seasons really here, really a handful of seasons uh, worth of starts to kind of evaluate him. And it's been up and down. It's been inconsistent. And we've really never seen the ace level stuff even for a whole season. So I think right now he's a fine number two. He's having a pretty good year this year, a 350 kind of ERA year. Uh, it's not like the advanced metrics point down in one way or another. Um, last year, he wasn't great. It was a four ERA kind of year. But if he can join the Blue Jays and you know, become part of this young core and take it to another level. Maybe this is what pushes him. All right. Then we're having a different conversation here. I think this move means just as much for 2021 as it does 2022. Uh, when I really think the blue Jays are going to be up at the top of that AL East competition. Uh, but so it, it, it's a move that I can understand from both perspectives. It just has a chance to look really bad for the blue Jays. If Barrios doesn't take another step. Yeah. And I do think there is another gear to Barrios for sure you know like I, I mean yes is he the pitcher that we expected maybe not 
But I do get that impression, and I think you hit the nail on the head in the Toronto market. I get the impression that what a lot of people are doing, they're rewinding the clock a little bit, and they're acting like this is 2019 or 2018 and saying, wow, look at this. I mean, future ace. I mean, listen, he's going to be a free agent after 2022. I mean, out of team control. This is not some young stud anymore. Um, the time is now and he better make an impact because they needed to add a starter and they're really banking on Robbie Ray right now. And Robbie Ray has had real ups and downs over the last few years. I don't know how much we should trust him. He's had a great year. Don't get me wrong. But again, this is a team serious about making a playoff push. Yeah. And and the other thing is with Barrios, it's like he's going from a very pitcher friendly environment uh, out at target field over the last couple of years. Now that the Blue Jays, they're back in Toronto, we know the ball flies there as well. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's another factor in this equation. It's not like he's going from Yankee Stadium to go pitch for the Giants or something like that, where, oh, like everything's working in his fit in his favor. No, you know, he's going to have to really pitch and really grow. And we'll see. You know, the Blue Jays have had some hits with pitching, some surefire misses. Uh, I give them credit. You know, you didn't lose Nate Pearson in this deal, uh, which was definitely – I thought was likely going to be the main piece here. Uh, So you hold on to him. That is somewhat of a win, but steep price here. But, you know, depending on what the Blue Jays do the next year, year and a half, we'll see if it's worth it or not. Yeah. I mean, this price was so steep. If Nate Pearson was uh, one of the pitchers in this deal, I mean, substitute him for Simeon Woods Richardson. I, you know, it would have been almost um, identical. I mean, that's how steep this price is. Simeon Woods Richardson, by the way, I don't know if anyone, um, really cares, but I, I think it's interesting. Team USA in Tokyo right now at the Olympics for baseball, and Team USA is playing real well. Uh, another win this morning against South Korea, 4-2, I believe the score was. So uh, that's got to be really interesting. Eh? Simeon Woods-Richardson, with the time difference, you know, he's like in Tokyo. He's been traded before. He was in the Marcus Stroman trade from the Mets to Toronto, but, you know, he's in Tokyo right now and um, playing Olympic baseball. And, uh, hey, uh, his mind's got to be racing. Hey, you're, you're changing organizations there. Yeah, he left having a home, and now he has to move into a new home. Uh, but yeah, no, Team USA, you know, it's interesting. Tristan Cassis had a home run today as well. The That's right. Number one prospect. So yeah, interesting stuff going over there. Let's see, you know. Simeon Woods-Richardson, I think that's a real kind of conversation. He could go one way or the other here. Uh, Surely you could see him developing into a really good mid-rotation starter. But if you told me two years from now he's a reliever uh, with really good stuff, I wouldn't be shocked either. Exactly. And and yeah, there are a lot of intriguing pieces on Team USA. We might have to talk about that next week. Um, Really, really like fascinating stuff. Anthony Ghost, you remember him? Yeah. Uh, A once prized Blue Jays prospect traded for Devin Travis. He's a pitcher now, and he's pitching for Team USA. I was like, really? You know, and I hadn't seen him in a while, so I thought that was fascinating as well. Yeah, his uh, I remember his glove. Uh, I yeah. Definitely, you know, he could make some plays. But, yeah, there's some, there's some weird pieces. Uh, Todd Frazier amongst that group, you know, mm-hmm. guys that are, you know, some past their prime. You got some uh, Jack Lopez, a Red Sox minor leaguer, quadruple A guy at best. He's over there with them. Uh, we knew Jaron Duran was supposed to, but obviously he's with the Red Sox now. A lot of interesting stuff going over there. Um, but yeah, I think that'd be a fun topic for next week. Yeah, and especially by next week, well, I guess it might be over by then. We might find out. Um, by Based on what I saw, South Korea was heavily favored today. Uh, yeah. So this is a, a bit of an upset. 
And, and it is a weird mixture because a lot of countries treat the Olympics a lot different than uh, America does with their baseball players, where we send mostly guys who are at the end of their career uh, slash like minor leaguers. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, some places, you know, the KBO shuts down and they go play over there and they do their thing. But you also see like uh, Team Israel has like Ryan LaVarnway and Ian Kinsler. Ian Kinsler. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, it, like Ian Kinsler hasn't been in baseball for a couple years now, but whatever, you know, it's fun. Yeah, and uh, you talk about the KBO being on a break. Shinsu uh, Chu was at the Rangers game the other day so uh yeah th- there is a break and and it depends on where you are and kind of how they treat the olympics uh meanwhile we have the craziest trade deadline of all time and uh this is like an afterthought in, in terms of this show but we're going to talk about it next week we'll talk about uh the olympics and and recap what happened and if there's any intriguing players that have interesting stories coming out of tokyo the mariners were really interesting this happened Pre-madness, I would say, on July 27th, Kendall Graveman uh, traded to the Astros. This was a shock. Now, the Mariners did end up getting Diego Castillo, so they kind of uh, compensated for this loss. But this was a real intriguing move, and, and reportedly the Mariners clubhouse was not a fan of it. It's not the first time that's happened either, as we all know. Uh not great for the organization, first off, that has dealt with the chaos they had with their team president in spring training uh, involving, you know, service time and Jared Kalenic and all these different things or Jared Kalenic and all that. Um, but the way I kind of look at it here, this was a move when it happened. You saw Kendall Graveman get moved. I understand the frustration, right? He's a big part of the clubhouse. He was going to be a free agent at the end of the year deal him. He's been one of the best relievers in baseball. Go get something. I understand the Mariners. Yep. They're, you know, they're playing well. They're coming off one of their best wins of the season. The run differential is like negative 50. Come on. Come on. I, sorry. I, I understand baseball players don't get it, but front offices do. Uh, they're not going to be this team that rises over the next 60 games. Uh, they're, they're a fine team. They're fun. And next year, I think they're really going to be in the conversation to compete in the NO or in the AL West. Uh, but going to get Diego Castillo. Very good move. You get three years of team control on top of that there. Someone who can work in that bullpen at the end there and kind of fill that spot of Graveman. If the Mariners love Graveman so much, they can sign him this offseason as well. This isn't be realistic. Just, you know, I understand it's hard to look forward and understand where you're at, but the Mariners aren't doing anything significant over the next two months. Get something back. Make those smart moves. Jerry DePoto, he's very heartless with this stuff. And I think that speaks a little bit to his leadership because he should be talking to his players about this kind of stuff. Yeah. And Abraham Toro in his first game as a member of the Mariners, it's a home run against the Astros. I thought the return was actually okay. So I, you know, yeah. Abraham Toro, a guy who really hasn't had an opportunity with the Astros, who's dominated triple a like for a substantial size here, still young as well. You know, you're getting hopefully a guy who could be a starter for you, a foundation piece uh, that can produce and is not, you know, terrible on one side of the ball one way or another, just a really solid ball player. How can you say no to that? You know, it's a piece that a Mariners team who needs more positional player, more depth on that roster to do things and kind of grow if they want to take that next step. How can you, you know, throw that away for two months of Kendall Graveman? Yeah, and I don't think it will affect the Mariners that much. If the team wants to still be in the hunt and, and if their play on the field dictates where they are, that will happen. I, you know, I think the Mariners are, are quite good, and I think they're, they're a tough team to beat. And um, the subtraction of Kendall Graveman 
doesn't really change my opinion of that that much. I mean, he's had a good year, um, but, you know, I'm not going crazy about him. And the Astros can use him. You know, the Astros are in much better shape to use a guy like that. Yeah, and it worked with their luxury tax as well, which was yeah. also a really big thing for them. But Jerry Depoto said the window starts in 2022. Okay, he's acting like it. He's not doing anything that he said he wouldn't do. Uh, so there it is. But I, it just speaks to the disconnect there is with the players in the front office there. And that ultimately might end up really hurting them down the line where players aren't going to want to go there. I think that's a fair conversation. But from a standpoint of moves and you know worth and what the deal was, it was the right move. Let's wrap it up with this. Three winners, three losers. We already have one loser, I think. We've already discussed the Philadelphia Phillies, so we'll chalk that up as one right there because we both agree on it. But give me a winner. Uh, I'm going to go. I'll start with the Dodgers, the easy one. They get two pieces that put them right where they want to be as they go down the stretch here and try to compete for a World Series. No one made moves like this at the deadline. You can't compete. Dodgers being the Dodgers. You know what, I'm going to go and uh, stay in the West, but this time in the American League. And I know there's been a lot of questions about, well, they gave up Lazardo and this and that. I like what the A's did. The A's are saying, you know what, our windows now, I give them credit for what they did. This lineup now, you know, that, that trade at the Nationals too, Josh, Harris, Josh Harrison, Young Gomes, the lineup really, it's diverse. Bob Melvin can do a lot of things with it. I think it, it, it's a formidable lineup. And Sterling Marte in the number two hole every day, You know, I think the A's with the Yankees, the Blue Jays, and the Mariners poised to really kind of push them a little bit. I think they had to do this. And I think with the the wild card disappointments in the last few years, I'm not fooling around. Oakland was a buyer, and I love what they did. I I like that. So I'll round it out. I'll go uh, Yankees as my third there. Uh, Yeah, with the A's, first off, before I even go that far, we realize their farm system, they need to really start building things up over there, but they're in the race this year. Uh, they have issues going on. We know with their location and everything like that. I think they're getting ready to take a step back. We know Matt Chapman's contract, unfortunately, is wearing down here. Matt Olson will be in that conversation as well. Uh, most likely, they're going to have to sell some big pieces, I think, this offseason mm-hmm. to kind of get back to where they are, where they need to be, you know, with what they can spend and what the farm system has to be pour it in this year and though you know we're not talking Dodgers pour it in but this is the A's version of that compete exactly see where it goes the American League is still pretty wide open uh the White Sox may have changed that conversation a little bit here um but you know what I mean I I think it's one of those spots where they they did what they had to do here yeah exactly they're gonna get they're gonna recoup the farm system they will it's gonna happen now the whole thing about Lazardo, the A's have done an exceptional job recently at developing pitchers within Cole Irvin, Chris Bassett's and others had a great year. So I don't think there's any panic. They're one of those teams. They're going to have pitchers. They're going to find guys, if you know what I mean. And the A's aren't a team that is known for missing on arms. And listen, I like Jesus Lazardo. I'm curious to see what the Marlins can do. But the fact that a team that really can't afford to miss on a guy like him is willing to move him off. And we know what's happened with the broken hand this year, the underperformance. We know it all. Uh, it's, it says a little, it's a little warning sign to me if I'm the Marlins who just got him. But yeah, I, I think they did a very solid job at the deadline. Um, my third, I'll go the Giants. They didn't have to give up. Or you know what? Mm-hmm. Actually, hold back, hold back. Let me pull that one in. I like what the Giants did. I had three of my own that I came up with, but I'm going to throw the Yankees out there. Uh, they didn't lose any of their top five prospects here. They got a guy in Joey Gallo who not only fixes an immediate need, but helps next year as well. Anthony Rizzo, I think, is a nice piece for where they're at right now. Bringing Andrew Heaney into the mix, I think that's another solid arm that could really do a lot for them as well. Uh, 
listen, I, I, I don't think the Yankees did anything to really mortgage their future here. If anything, they set themselves up well for next year. They address holes that they have right now. And they're a lot closer to the second wild card than most people realize. Absolutely. And this team before the Red Sox series was kind of on a roll. Right. And then the Red Sox series happened and there were some devastating losses. Ripped their hearts out. It ripped their hearts out. It really, I think a lot of people in, in New York were saying the season's done now. I mean, it's got to be. But they kind of came back and they're playing better again, you know, and, and they saw the Phillies before they saw the Red Sox and they looked really good against the Phillies. And they're kind of doing the things that they didn't do earlier. Yeah, and we talked about it last week, you know, with Joey Gallo. I said, this is the move that Brian Cashman needs to make if he hopes to somewhat reverse a lot of the mistakes he made over the last offseason. And he made that move. I, I give him all the credit that I could possibly give him for that. They didn't wait the market out. They attacked when they felt necessary. That's something Bloom didn't do. That's something the Red Sox didn't do. So you got to give him a pause, give him his credit. So you like the Dodgers. I like the A's. The A's were kind of my dark horse uh, let's talk about them that's under the radar that I like because no one's going to mention them as a winner. And then the Giants and Yankees, you mentioned there. You know, yeah, um, yeah. I got to give cri- credit to the Giants. You don't give up anything significant in a farm system, especially at the top that has a lot of nice talent. Uh, I think Chris Bryant's just the perfect fit. I couldn't think of a player on this deadline that would have done more for them. Losers. I already talked about the Phillies. We got into them a lot. I think the obvious loser, I'll just throw it out there. It's the Padres. They lost out. You know what? And look, they just got outbid in a lot of cases. The Blue Jays for Burrios gave up a lot. And the Padres, credit to them, they didn't pay that. They don't need to, I don't think. They're okay. And they lost out on Max Scherzer. They just didn't make the deals. And you know what? That might not be a bad thing. But for this deadline, if we're going to claim winners and losers, they're in the losers category. Yeah, I agree. They they just they couldn't close deals, like you said. And we saw miss out on Joey Gallo. They switched to pitching. They couldn't get any of the big pitchers. So they're kind of just sitting in that middle ground. It is what it is. Um, they've had their fair share of injuries, but they're still extremely deep. I think looking ahead to next year, people forget, you know, Mike Clevenger is still going to, you know, be joining this group. Denilson Lamette's entering the bullpen for the Padres once he's fully right. Uh, maybe, you know, he builds himself up to be able to make some starts for them at some point. Uh, you know, Ryan Weathers has unfortunately kind of fallen off as of late, uh, but, you know, he had a promising first half. Let's see where it goes. You Darvish has been scuffling too. So, you know, I, I understand Padres, you know, looking at it and feeling like they had to make a move, but I also give them credit for not completely selling out. Uh, but they should have done something with that Eric Cosmer deal because now it's just, eh, you know what I mean? They, they do have a little bit of a situation here that's a little uncomfortable. Yeah, it is. And I think if they could have flipped them in a Gallo deal, we would have looked at the Padres much differently here. But you know what? They did get Adam Fraser. Let's not forget. We're acting like the deadline was just yesterday, right? They did make their move. Yeah, and I, I think that's where the Eric Hosmer stuff comes in. You bring Adam Frazier in, and they say they want to use him as a super utility man. We get it, but they do got a lot of those profiles as is. Yeah. Uh, you have Jake Cronenworth, who continues to be extremely impressive. Uh, there's just limited playing time across the board. It looks like Hosmer is going to be a platoon kind of guy more than that. And I think if they had their choice, they would have got him off their books. They would have been able to go a different way about it. Uh, it would have cost them a top prospect, but they would have had a little more flexibility. I think that might be a move we see them consider in the offseason, especially because yeah, Frazier has team control. Exactly. It, the addition of Frazier really changes everything. You know, it's like there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen there. And it, whether that bodes well for them or not, I don't know. But that's just the reality of what the Padres situation is. Yeah, uh, the next loser I'll throw in, and I'll, I'll, listen, it's obvious, the Rockies who just, right. I don't even, uh, it's hard to say anything. Uh, it, 
Trevor story put it best. He was, he's just confused. What are you doing? What really? This is where we're at. Uh, Your franchise is nowhere near competing with three teams all on the upswing in the NL West. Uh, You're getting clobbered left and right. Players speak bad about your organization. Your last hometown hero in terms of, you know, a guy who exploded there and Nolan Arenado, obviously not from there, but, you know, he was the face of that franchise. Very bad reports coming out from him. Trevor Story can't even comment. He's so disgruntled. What do we, you know, you had Daniel Bard. What are you holding on to Daniel Bard for? Like, well, that's, yeah. What are you holding on to CJ Chrome for? I know an injury popped up, but we saw, you know, Dan Duffy go to the Dodgers. Uh, you know, there was abilities to move guys who Kyle Schwarber to the Red Sox who weren't healthy. What are you clinging to for what? what like, what are they going to do? You think the comp pick is worth more than what someone would have gave you for Trevor Story? Idiotic. Idiotic. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It, it was confusing. I think that's the best way to describe it. Now, I heard that they were telling teams. They were actively telling teams. We're not trading John Gray and we're not trading Daniel Bart. Uh, really? I mean, they are – you wouldn't listen to an offer, right? Well, I mean, what if someone said, we need a reliever? Hey, Bard would be good. And the Rockies are telling teams, no, 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 we're holding on to him. I don't get it. I don't understand really what's happening. And look, I mean, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm really trying. Um, I just can't rationalize it. I was thinking about this last night. I'm thinking, okay – Think of one good reason of why they can hold on. I, I can't. And maybe I got to wait and see. And maybe in the offseason, something happens and, and it makes a little more sense right now. None of it. No. And listen. All right. The John Gray thing. I could have the conversation. He's open yeah. to signing an extension. Okay. Sure. The other pieces, you have no reason to hold on. Like the Red Sox swapped Michael Chavis for Austin Davis with Philly or with Pittsburgh. Excuse me. Whatever. You know, that's is. Uh, under the radar move, you're going to find. You're telling me you want to take in Michael Chavis, a guy who could probably succeed at Coors Field with his power for a CJ Chrome, for a Danny, for a Daniel Bard. Like, what are we thinking here? You know, like Trevor Story is never going to resign with you. Like, uh, really? Are, are we doing this again? Uh, his biggest mentor, Nolan Arenado, just went through this whole thing in front of him. He watched it. Just. That organization, man, I'm getting to the point, like Major League Baseball is going to have to do something because these are moves that are borderline unacceptable. Like it feels like they're just okay being garbage just because they're a Major League Baseball team that's going to bring money in. Yep. You know what? It it is confusing. And Trevor Story, 99.9% will not resign and they'll get a comp pick out of it. So uh, they want the comp pick. You know, that's what they wanted. And maybe they didn't like the offers. They didn't want to just give them away and they want them around for the second half. That's my way of trying to rationalize it. Um, I've, I've heard the commissioner speak before where he has said, especially when Jeter and his ownership group bought the Marlins, he doesn't get involved in personnel decisions. Um, look with the Rockies. I don't know. They do have a couple pieces on that team. I do like, but uh, they were in a totally great position and a very good one, actually, to have a good seller's deadline and retool a little bit for the offseason and look a lot better going to 2022. And I think they blew it. When your comments are, I think we've really underperformed the last few years. I still think this team can compete. You're lost. You're, well, I, yeah. yeah. Like, I, how do you say something like that? Mm-hmm. Look around you. That's all it takes. Look around you. The Giants are going up. The Padres are going up. The Dodgers are going up. 
They all have elite farm systems. Uh, the Giants, you know, it, it seems like they're going to be willing to give out a contract sometime soon. The, we know the Padres and the Dodgers, they don't care to give out contracts. They'll do it left and right. You can't afford to give out contracts like that. You don't want to build your farm system up. What's going to happen? You're going to sit there and be garbage. It's called reading the room, and they're not doing that. And that does not bode well in this division. Okay, if you were in the NL Central, all right, let's see how it goes the next few years. This division is murder's row. Um, These teams aren't fooling around. One of them just got Chris Bryant. The other just made the biggest blockbuster I've seen in decades. It's just, it's so bad. It's, it's so bad across the board. Um, Let's something less bad. The Phillies were my other loser um, that I'll I'll throw in there. Like we, we kind of already hit on just not moves that are going to do anything for them over the next couple of years when it's obvious they probably need to take a step back, build up the farm system so you can support your core. That's not David Dombrowski. He's not going to be the guy to build up that farm system. They're in purgatory for being mediocre. It's a tough, tough place to be. Yeah, I think the Rockies kind of uh, brought the mood down as yeah. as we went to the next loser there, the Philadelphia Phillies, and what it's, they did. Yeah, <laughs> listen, it's hard to be a it's hard to be a loser, but when you compare yourself to the Philly or to the Rockies, at least you can feel good if you're the Phillies. <laughs> um, one thing I do want to hit on: we didn't really get to the Craig Kimbrell and the White Sox stuff. Right, right. I forgot about yes. Yeah, so Craig Kimbrell on his way to the South Side. And uh, this was a steep price as well. Now, Nick Madrigal, I'm a big fan. Me too. I love his bat on ball skills and Cody Hoyer as well. Yeah. Um, So so they get a real good halt for a closer, an older closer. Um, I think um, the Cubs did great here. Yeah. Listen, this, if you're looking for a way to rebuild your team on the go here and figure it out, Nick Madrigal, we know he's out for the year, tore his hamstring suck to see him go down like that but this is a guy who you know he's under team control through you know 2026 like you know he 114 ops plus since he's entered the big leagues you know hovering right around that 300 batting average line um we know he doesn't play a premier position in second base but someone who's just arguably the best contact hitter in the sport right now and i saw you know i believe it was jim bowden said you know his batting average is the most empty batting average in baseball. No, you need guys like this at the, you know, either at the bottom of your lineup or the top of your lineup mm-hmm. who can consistently get on base, who can spray the ball all around, who have that non strikeout mix that kills so many baseball teams like the Yankees. One of the reasons they went and got Anthony Rizzo, someone who can make contact pretty frequently in today's game. I'm just sitting here. I'm like, wow. Like I, I do think the White Sox are the team to make it out of the American League at this point. I, I, I saw it even before that because people don't – it's not talked about. Eloy Jimenez is back. You have Luis, Robert, or Luis Robert coming back. I always say Robert because that's the way he talked about it, how it's supposed to be pronounced. Um, but he's going to be back. They're adding to the bullpen of Liam Hendricks. Now you got Craig Kimbrell. They went and got Ryan Tapera as well, uh, who was their eighth inning guy and one of the best relievers in baseball. Wow. The White Sox, you look around and it's like, all right, now they have the best bullpen in the game. Uh, Cody Hoyer, I, I really like him. He has a five-plus ERA this year, the FIPS and the threes. Uh, we know what he was the year before as well. Just a really nice young bullpen piece, someone who's probably an eighth-inning guy. Damn. Uh, the White Sox, you better win. You better win. Uh, if it's not this year, next year. 
Uh, Because we know he has a $16 million option. We'll see how that all plays out. There's not a better reliever in baseball than Craig Kimbrell right now. I just hope this isn't the classic case of you kind of ruin what Liam Hendricks is doing. You got two closers in the mix now. How do you kind of play it out? It's dangerous. It can work. But, you know, if there's a guy to probably do it, I trust someone like Tony LaRussa who understands, has the old school mindset in that respect to kind of manage it the right way. Yeah, it's worth the risk, I would say, in terms of the dynamics you're talking about at the back of the bullpen. Absolutely. Liam Hendricks has been all around different roles in the bullpen over his career, and he seems like a real team guy as well. He got paid. Yeah, he got paid, and I think he seems to really be liking uh, the White Sox. I don't want to speak for him, but he seems to really be uh, meshing well with that team. And the thing that sticks out to me is Liam Hendricks is one of the rare closers who doesn't mind going multi innings. You know, yes. he'll, he'll come in in the eighth. If you need him, he'll pitch the 10th. If you need it, Craig Kimbrell is not that guy. He has never been that guy. He is the traditional ninth inning guy. Bring me in one inning. That's what you're going to get. And you're going to take it. It's going to be a filthy inning. Um, and he's one of the best closers of all time. So I do think there are different dynamics. I just hope the shifting doesn't cause any weird. It's not a character problem, but we know closers can be a little weird when they're not in the same routine over and over. But I think the biggest thing you got to worry about if you're the White Sox, do you end up regretting what you gave up in this deal? Right, yeah. And, and you know, with the whole routine thing, creatures have it, right? They, they really are. So when you kind of mix up the routine a bit, that can hurt. But I'm sure it'll be fine. And yeah, we'll look back at this. We definitely will. Uh, with what the White Sox gave up. How about that with the Cubs? Nico Horner now and Nick Madrigal. That should be interesting for them uh, for years to come. So good for them on the return. I I think that there was a lot of confusion on how the market played out with a lot of people. I think people gauge the market in a certain respect. They see Max Scherzer go for a certain price. Then they see Jose Barrios go for a certain price. And they kind of compare those two. And now you see... Kimbrel, for example, go. I mean, it was just kind of all over the place. It was madness. No, it was. And that's what happens. That's why you saw someone like Heimbloom, who hasn't been in this position before, just he got beat by the market. You misread it. You didn't handle it great. Uh, it happens. You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do? Uh, you just kind of got to chalk it up to when you walk the middle line, you better know what role you need to play. And if you don't know what role you need to play, you're gonna get. You're gonna sit and watch all these other teams do things and be left standing there, kind of frustrated. Uh, but you know, this will be a trade deadline we remember forever. There's not going to be one that matches this. You know, anytime soon, I'd be shocked. It's usually a disappointing trade deadline. Let's be real. Uh, so it was fun. It was fun, even for a Red Sox fan. <laughs> Quite honestly, in across all sports, there have been disappointing trade deadlines where you're excited and nothing really happens. You know, maybe one move, but. It doesn't live up to all the anticipation. This not only delivered, I'm still a little stunned. And it hasn't sunk in. Seeing Anthony Rizzo in a Yankees jersey was odd. Chris Bryant in a Giants jersey is going to be odd. And I don't know if you have the same feeling, but for me, Baez in a Mets jersey, that's going to be the weirdest. Yeah. Hi, listen, Javier Baez and Frisco, or Francisco Lindor. We know Lindor is not going to yeah. be back till about mid-August, right? But two guys, childhood friends, high school rivals, Team Puerto Rico, like 
what more can you ask for? This is as cool as you're going to see something. You know, this is a childhood dream. Uh, we know Javier Baez isn't exactly the player he was when he finished second in MVP voting, but still one of the best middle or up the middle defenders in the sport. Still a, an above average hitter. The OBP isn't great, but the OPS plus, I believe, is like 108. Maybe this sparks Lindor a little bit when he comes back. Uh, you know, you get a little invigorated. You're playing with one of your buddies. Uh and with Javier Baez, whether it's second or third, whatever they need on the day, he's versatile in that way. I think that it's a nice move for the Mets. They got Trevor Williams as well, who yep. we know with Jacob DeGrom, who just went down, you know, and is not looking like he'll be back. Maybe September, best case scenario, um, you kind of cling to, but he's not going to be back for all of August. Gives them a little more depth in that rotation. I still think they needed a better starter than that, if I'm being honest with you, but that all plays into what the NL East is going to be down the stretch. It's going to be... A little bit of a bloodbath, I think, of really, you know, a little above average to mediocre teams fighting it out. Much like the White Sox, right? The Mets have dealt with a number of injuries. And I think that when both teams are at full health, they're just not being talked about enough. In in the grand scope of this Major League Baseball season, we're looking at two real serious contenders. The Mets and the White Sox, when healthy, and if everything goes right. A lot of ifs there. But if they do happen, then we got to talk more about those teams. That is the squeeze. I'm Logan Lockhart. That right there is Tyler Milliken. It's presented by Primetime Sports Talk, the craziest trade deadline ever. Well, I think it lived up to that name. I don't think we're being prisoners of the moments. I really do think that was the craziest trade deadline ever. It's good to hear you're following the international baseball in Tokyo right now, which uh, I think is interesting. And we'll talk a little bit about that next week. USA's 2-0. They just beat South Korea. As we're recording this, a few hours ago, they beat them 4-2. So that is the final score. Final words. Uh, let's hope people stop crying about Bloom a week from now. I, I, that's my, those are my final words for this week. Let's see. Well, if the Red Sox uh, put together another streak and really lock up, this is a key point in the season here. You got to put some breathing room between yourself and the Rays, and we'll see if they can do it fingers crossed there you go fingers crossed that is the squeeze until next week here we are signing off